life was never the same. <laughs> that yeah. that was so great to be that powerful and that loud. Mm-hmm. It was really it was a really great band. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. My guest on this episode is Gail Greenwood, and it was quite an honor to get to talk with her. Um, In our interview, we discuss her start at some local clubs here in Providence with her band, The Dames. Uh, We also talk about the unique practice spot that Boneyard had, the serendipitous way she joined Belly, uh, some of the logistics of playing in L7, and why her latest band, Benny Sizzler, got its start. Uh, So with this, we cover a lot of things such as writing, recording, touring with all of these bands, and uh, the long list of incredible artists that she's shared the stage with. So hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Please subscribe, and as always, follow along on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at livingroomutb to see some photos from Gail's time in music. Gail, thank you for your time. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talk to you about your career and about Rhode Island's music scene. I think you, uh, you know, have just been a, a major part of it. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. So, uh, Thanks for having me, James. I um, hope I can remember everything. It's been a long time. I'm sure everybody, yeah. I'm sure everybody no, just make it says up. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just make it up. Yeah. Let's create a myth. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, you're a lifelong Rhode Islander. Uh, you grew up in Barrington, correct? Correct. Uh, uh, can you talk about what that experience was like, like for you growing up, and uh, and like your earliest memories of of music? Yes, I would say that um, growing up in Barrington was great. I had a really great family. We lived in a little house on the west side of town. Even though Barrington is a rich town, I didn't live in the the rich part of town. But we didn't know that. We thought we had everything. Um, my parents, my mom did play the piano. My dad played the harmonica in the Pawtucket Boys Club harmonica band. Whoa. So he was great. Cool. He was, yep. Yeah, and he played on the radio once. And, um, so I, there was always music around, but not really any rock music or anything. My old, two older sisters were into the Beatles and, um, I think that, yeah, that was probably it. I got a guitar. I got an acoustic guitar when I was 14. I took guitar lessons from Dominic Scalero in Bay Spring. I don't know if any of your listeners remember him. He was a great guitar teacher. And um, my dad, um, I needed a nicer guitar. And my dad took me up to, I think it was, um, it might have been Avery Piano in a guitar shop. Or maybe I can't remember that. And he bought me a nicer guitar, and we weren't supposed to tell my mother how much it cost. I mean, I think it was like four, it was like forty dollars. Yeah. So um, I played acoustic, and then when I was in the I was in the junior high marching band, so I played baritone horn. So um, you know, I was familiar with the bass clef. And then I met up with after high school, I met up with Cindy Ballou, Janet Dancero from Barrington, um, they went to Barrington High School as well. And we started a band called The Dames. But before mm-hmm. that, I had never played. And then I picked up the 
electric bass. So I played bass in that band. And then we had um, Jeff Adams played baritone saxophone and Seth Blue played drums. So that was my actual first real band. I never had a band in high school. I wish I did, but I only had um, a band after high school while I was going to RISD. I took a few years off. I took a few gap years. And then when I was at RISD, we started the Dames. I think that's okay. about the time frame. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, so I just... What were you I, listening back, back to then? Like, where are you... Um, like, what was... Oh, what kind of music was I listening Yeah, to? like, yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I loved Neil Diamond. I just... And it was from... It was the uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel soundtrack. It was all orchestral. There wasn't any oh, okay. vocals at all. And I just... I really loved it. And it was just... Um, and then I... You know, so I would say, like, earliest recollection of bands that music that inspired me to want to make music as well would be probably freaking Neil Diamond. And um, and then I got into funk when I was in high school. I was really into funk, like Parliament Mm -hmm. and uh, Ohio Players and Brick and all these uh, funk bands. And um, so that's why I started playing bass, actually, because I wanted to be yeah, a yeah. bass player. But I just didn't have it. High standards, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was all satchy, but it wasn't. Yeah, I just, I, I, I couldn't really play funk as well as I wanted to or, you know, and I had no reason or no right to. So that's when I started playing, switched over to like rock bass. But at that time, bands like Talking Heads were popular, Go-Go's. Mm-hmm. Um, Bangles, um, trying to think of some of the bands like In Excess. These were bands when, when the Dames first started, we did covers. So um, okay. we were all learning our instruments. Cindy was learning electric guitar. I was learning bass. Janet already knew how to play keyboards. Yeah. And Seth was already an awesome drummer. So we just were, yeah, we did covers. And our very first show was at Avery Piano because that's where Cindy worked which I don't think is oh, okay. there anymore. It's next, it was next to PPAC in Providence. Oh yeah, yeah, okay. It was an old piano about. store. Yeah. So that was our very first show. And um, then we just kept playing and then we started writing our own songs. Cindy was a great lyricist. She still is a writer. She, she works for the state right now. She works for the parks department. She's in their marketing department. She's a great writer and she wrote uh, all of our lyrics. Okay. And we collectively wrote the music. So yeah. we started playing uh, the clubs. I think the first club we ever played was uh, the Cage, which then became, was run by James McGrath. He, he owned the Cage and Rocket, which then went on to become Club Babyhead. Yep. But James McGrath, he's, I credit him and I never credited him enough actually, but I credit him with giving all of my bands the start in life. He was so great. He was so nurturing. The cage was a really cool club. And then he closed the cage and opened the rocket, which was on Richmond street. Mm-hmm. And um, just the greatest person now, believe it or not, he is the president of Western Michigan university's law school. He's the president of the law school. Wow. At Western Michigan U. Can you believe that? 
That's so cool. Yeah. And he was, he was, uh, he was one of the original, like, I think he was really big in act up and he's, it was just really great. He was an activist and, but also anyway, long story short, he was very nurturing and yeah. he gave every band a chance and he gave, cool. we were horrible. Yeah. You know, we didn't know what the fuck we were doing. We were terrible, but he gave every band a chance and he was so encouraging and he had his own band, which was called parallel fifth, which was hilarious. Okay. So that's an old school band. If you mention it to somebody around yeah. my age, they remember Parallel Fifth. And um, so we played with them all the time. And um, that's probably where it started. So we would go from the cage to Rocket. Those were the, fir- the first clubs that gave the Dames, my first band, um, our start uh-huh. and encouragement. Yeah. And how did it feel being in, in that band? Like, did it? kind of give you that spark to play more music at that yes yep it did it was great I mean some of my lifelong friends I met from being in I'm still friends with the girls and the dames but um yeah it just we played with bands called that'll learn you neutral nation um rash of stabbings um trying to think of what now camera ready i'm trying to think of all these old bands that we used to play with but most of them and, and people that worked at the club joanne said and queen of chaos um is one of my best friends elise press dj elise was the dj at rocket i mean i met all these people in the 80s and we're still friends to this day i mean it's funny the most they've gone on to different careers and some of them are still in music but um Mm -hmm. and then joanne owned um the decatur do you know the decatur the bar that used to be yeah yeah. joanne owned the decatur for years so she went on to do that so um I made yeah m- m- tons of friends. It was great playing music. We learned so much. Um, lots mm-hmm. of tears, you know. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned the name of the show. Your show is uh, where the living room used to be because nobody made me cry as many times as Randy Heen. I know he's that? beloved. I know he's beloved, and yes, he is. But he was always just like, oh, he's making me cry. I don't know because we were terrible, and he was just we were like begging and pleading to get on shows, and. Um, he he couldn't be bothered, you know. He wasn't really interested in my the kind of bands. That oh, like he would turn you guys down when yeah. you like ask for a show. <laughs> yeah, wow. like All right. crying. And I remember, I remember we played a show, and there were a lot of people there, and I went in to get paid, and he had fifty dollars for us. Now this is like nineteen eighty. I don't know, 1985 or something. And I just said, $50, there's four girls in the band. How can you expect, or four people in the band? You know, how do you expect this? And, and and he's like, that's what you're getting. And I just remember crying. And then my band, Benny Sizzler, has played shows in 2019, where at the end of the night, we got motherfucking $50. So I'm just like... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the inflation. I know. 1985, we were doing fucking pretty good. Yeah. So I, I just remember crying about that. But you know who was great? Do you know? I don't know if you've talked to Bob Juicy. If you know, do you know Bob? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I know. I haven't uh, had a, a his name come up a lot. I, I need yeah. to do. Is he in the Tall Teenagers? I think he's in. He plays in so many bands. Yeah, he's with uh, Eric and the Nothing. He yeah, Eric and the Nothing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. We just played with them. They're fabulous. Uh, yeah yeah he um he worked in the office at the at the living room and so he mm-hmm. was he had a soft spot and he always got us on bills so i mean cool. i mean everybody will talk about it back in the day and you talk about how he felt to be in the dames it was just like nobody had a right playing with some of the bands that we did but that was when you could play with national bands and you probably um uh, it would later years the packages would come through and they'd have yeah. their own opening act with them but before back in the day it would just be a headline and they mm-hmm. would put local bands on the bill. exactly yeah and, you know that's how yeah. oh yeah it was just you know that's 
so what an opportunity to play with so many people like Social Distortion <laughs> and um, Gangrene and I can't even think about half the bands we played with, uh, Lime Spiders, um, Ramones, um, wow. Husker Du, oh my God, Green awesome. Day. I mean, when these bands were first starting out, Poison, um, it's just uh, the Pandoras, um, some of the shows that we were on were just amazing. Mm -hmm. So it was great, yeah. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and I, yeah, so the dames I'm, were great. The dames are I cut my teeth on being in a band. Yeah, so and I, I remember the dames. Uh, reading that you won the WBRU Rock Hunt. Is that yes, correct? we did. I yeah. can't remember. I think it was 1986 or 1985. Um, yeah, okay. We beat Tom Keegan in the language, and that was a big deal because they were huge. They were very huge. Um, yes, that was very exciting to win the yeah. WBRU Rock Hunt. I, yeah. we, that was really great. And we really pulled it together for that. We had a whole horn section. I mean, we pulled out all the stops, you know, we knew wow. about showmanship too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not a shoegazer. Um, when I play, I like a show. I like to go see a show. I like to see a prince. I like to see a show. So I try to give a show. And I think that's what we did too is, you know, yeah. full costumes and you know, the whole thing more theatrical than anything else. Wow, yeah. I love it. I was a, a RISD student after all, so. so Got to put some design into it, you know. You okay. gotta, every, everything has to have a design in it. Yeah. So um, that was fun. Those were heady days. Those were really great. That yeah. Was super fun. the next band that you connected with was that boneyard uh yep then i played with boneyard and um i got into boneyard about? well we were in a metal joke metal band called hyphen which played one night only at rocket and we were um the drummer for hyphen said that they were looking for a guitar player and mm -hmm. i went i think i know one you know and i said i'd love to audition so i auditioned mm -hmm. with boneyard which is a worcester band which is jack praskovitz gene severance May he rest in peace. He passed away in 2006. Um, and Chill Mott. And then me. So they were Worcester kids that moved down to Providence for the scene, for the music scene. Mm -hmm. So um, that was a, a hardcore band, more of a punk rock rock band. Then the Dames were more pop. And okay, yeah, yeah. really melodic. And uh, so it was a different thing. So I played guitar with, you know, through a half stack. I had to go get a half stack. You know, I was playing through some tremolo verb whatever i oh yeah. i had a fucking beautiful semi hollow hollow body blue rickenbacker wow. 1960s and i sold it 
for a green SG, which I actually still have. I still have an SG. I think it's in this room somewhere. Um, and then got a Marshall half stack. And then life was never the same. That's, <laughs> yeah. That was so great to be that powerful and that loud. Mm -hmm. It was really, it was a really great band. That was another band that James McGrath at the Rocket put us on every awesome show, every really? band that came through. Um, yeah. SNFU, which believe it or not, introduced me Chai Pig. May he rest in peace. He just passed away a couple of months ago. He introduced me to uh, Biff Naked, who's a mm -hmm. Canadian artist, and um, by saying, you know who you remind me of? And I was like, no, who's that? My friend Biff Naked. The bigger, titted, prettier version of you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, nice. I'd like to meet this girl. <laughs> and we did. And we're best friends. We're yeah. lifelong, you know. So yeah. <laughs> so there's another friend I met through friggin' punk rock through my friend Chai Pig. Goddamn. Yeah. Bigger, titted, prettier version of you. And younger. I think he said younger, too. So that was, we played with, that would have been Social Distortion, uh, Ramones, um, the super heavy bands that came through. Um, mm -hmm. That was a really great band. We, the a real big, real band that really helped us out a lot with the Goo Goo Dolls when they were a rock trio. Yeah. Um, and we played with them all the time and we took a liking to each other and they brought us up to Buffalo and we did a lot of like Northern New England and upstate New York tours with them and up as wow, far as cool. Montreal yeah. and, um, they were great guys, so we were super fans of theirs, and they gave us our first dogs, Edith and Onion. So really? we've yeah, we had um. Uh, How did that come about? These two puppies. They had a dog that had puppies. George, the drummer. Yeah. And um, they were like, we're trying to find homes for these puppies, and we were up there staying with them, and we just oh, said, okay. oh, we'll take them. So Chill wow. and I ended up with Edith and Onion. So your old rock <laughs> listeners, everyone knows. Edith and Onion from the rock scene. These guys lived at a house called Cortland Street on on Cortland Street, <laughs> and it was yeah. just like the rock and roll shithole that you can only, you know, imagine. Mm -hmm. And the dogs were there, and we there was those were fun times. But anyway, so that was um, that's Boneyard Chilmot, who I'm is my partner now. He was mm -hmm. the bass player, and he's who I'm in Benny Sizzler with. Yep. So that was a very important band for me to meet my life partner. Uh-huh. And um best friends with Jack Praskovitz, aka Sluggo, who's the drummer, who lives yeah. right up the road in Tiverton. So um, you know, you you know how it is. You meet that you there, there's a lot of bands with people that of course you never want to see again as long as you live, but there's the bands that <laughs> the, the band members not you, of course. You love everybody in your band. <laughs> I do, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I've got a few of that. But um, you know, you meet lifelong friends through playing music with them and you've been, you know, you're sleeping in a van together. You, yeah, you, you know, this shit, you know, you know, you're in your waist high in the shit together with these people. They're, they're the only people that you can share those stories with. No one yeah. else in the world can share those stories. Yeah. But Boneyard was great. Boneyard had great songwriting and Gene was our singer. Gene Severance was our singer and uh, he had a beautiful voice. And so mm -hmm. it was a punky hardcore band, but it also had like a great singer with like great melodic voice. Yeah. Um, and it was a different kind of a band. It was really, um, 
I, I really loved it. It was mm-hmm. great. Gene and I both played guitar in that band. Chill played bass and Sluggo played drums. So, yeah. and I, I mean, I never remember laughing so hard as being in a, in a van with those guys or practicing with them. Sluggo is just one of the funniest people on the planet. Yeah. And um, we're and trying to get him to play drums again, but he's a great, he was a great drummer. Were you based out of Providence? Yeah, time? we we, okay. we rehearsed at Riverside Mills, which burned to the ground with all of our equipment. Uh, we rehearsed under, um, yeah, a beautiful old mill. It was kind of over near Atlantic Mill. Um, you know, there's all the, all the old beautiful mills are all yeah. burning, which is sad. But um, I, it was probably one that my dad actually worked in when he was 11 years old, you know, sweeping the floor, I'm sure, um, unfortunately. But it was an old textile mill that burned to the ground in, um, I can't remember what year it was now, but all our equipment burned. It was in our practice space. We rehearsed under a half pipe called the chip that a lot of skaters um, from Rhode Island skated at and people from all over came there. And we, we, we built a rehearsal space under one end of the half pipe. So we were actually under the half pipe. So we would be rehearsing with, kids skating over us it was so cool it was really great but um yeah there so there was a fire and it literally burned to the ground uh anthony paolino was the mayor then though and he was actually pretty decent for um uh the arts in rhode island and they Mm -hmm. gave bands there's a lot of bands practice there grants arts and music's grants so that they could buy replace their equipment yeah. And we wonderful. we only got like two grand or something, but we never we felt like we never sounded the same again. I mean, there was just something about like everyone's guitar and amp mm-hmm. and, you know, you work to coalesce and get that sound to gel yeah, and you yeah. buy new equipment. And it just we felt like we never we lost something during that fire and we never oh, okay. quite got our sound back again. I yeah. had a beautiful green half stack, Marshall half stack that was houndstooth. It was a very rare green. I've, I've never even seen it on the internet. I, don't, I bought it at Rick's Music World. I am. They was like. I swear to God, there was just one ever made. <laughs> and uh, I've, I've I've never seen it again. I've searched to this day. I'm like, I wonder if there's yeah. still that greenhouse dude. But um, you know, luckily nobody was hurt. Obviously, um, uh, that would have been horrific. Um, a couple of dogs died that lived in the mill. Oh, really? Not not our dogs. Um, but. Yeah, so that was yeah. very sad. And a lot of businesses and livelihoods were, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But but Boneyard survived. We rose through the ashes and we continued to play on after that. Yeah, okay. So how long were you in Boneyard for that? I, I think Boneyard was like, I think it was about five years. It was okay. probably about five years. Yeah. And um, mostly touring with the Goo Goo Dolls. That's like the most I remember about like touring wise was lots of shows with those guys yeah when they were um a rock band i mean they're great now they're a different kind of a band right now um but they were really great back then Um, yeah they were super powerful trio they were just so great live really great Uh did you uh did you do any recording with boneyard the thing is this is what slackers we were like i know what people want to say like you know there's a lot of careerist bands and something like that. And, you know, people try to pretend they're DIY and, or they're just like, you know, we don't give a fuck and we're just a rock band. We really didn't give a fuck. We were just a rock band. <laughs> like yeah, we hardly ever made an effort to like, we did go up to Robbie Goo's studio, um, Trackmaster in, in Buffalo. Um, 
I think everybody was drunk and maybe the engineers were smoking pot. I'm not really sure. We weren't 100% happy with what we ended up with. Yeah. Um, uh, put out a few cassettes, but we never made the effort to like send anything to a record label mm-hmm. or, you know, I think somebody gave something to uh, somebody, I think at Sub Pop and they supposedly liked us and, but we never followed up. <laughs> you know, we just were like, really literally living in the moment i mean that's that's cool though yeah we did not have any ambition to go further than just play a kick-ass live show Mm -hmm. and um i don't know i don't know what would have happened if we had tried to get a label or something but 100 percent true slacking that's what we were doing we were true slackers so and I guess to some degree, I'm proud of that. But then at the same time, I'm like, well, we don't really have a record of what we really sounded like, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard nice. there's some like live stuff. That's, is that what I think that I've... Yeah, yeah. There's some live that. stuff. Yeah, there's okay. a video that Chill put together that yeah. Jeff Adams shot. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Fuck Me, I Deserve It is the name of the song. Beautiful song, Fuck Me, I Deserve It. And um, lovely tune. <laughs> lovely tune for the children. Yeah. And, um, and um, yeah, so there's a few live things, but nothing like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I need to go through all my cassettes and see whether there might be something that could be remastered or something like that. Okay. Um, but I loved the band. I thought it was a really great band. It's cool. Yeah. It was super fun. How did you connect with Belly then? So Boneyard broke up and I was devastated because I had been in bands, you know, I went from one band to the next and I didn't know what I was going to do. And we were surfing a lot. We moved to Middletown, Rhode Island. We're surfing and there were some surfers that were friends with, um, what was his name? Tom Karen, who's a pro surfer that came over to our house. He was a professional surfer. That's also, he was like the world champion um we these bands would come over the guys would come over and jam in our basement because we had a practice space in the basement and we still do we still have that same house and um and there were pro surfers jamming in the basement and there was this other guy surfing that he's a surfer guy that was in town and he just told this kid chris gorman who was in belly who is a surfer who he just said yeah we're looking for a bass player and he just said i was just at this chick's basement chill and gail's basement and she is, she's playing guitar, but you should ask her that totally random. So I get this phone call from Chris Gorman, who I didn't know. I knew he was in the band Verbal Assault. I knew of the band Verbal Assault yeah. from behind, but I was just like, what? You know, so, so weird. So a surfing connection. So I auditioned for them. Um, I knew of the Throwing Muses, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. They were, um, 
competitors of the dames, although they didn't know it. We were, we were competitive with them, but they didn't even know we existed. They were so fabulously above and beyond all of us in Rhode Island. Although I'm not throwing the dames under the bus. We were good too, but the, um, so I knew of the muses and I knew of Tanya Donnelly and I knew that she had done stuff with the breeders. They were starting this new band called the breeders. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that she was starting um, her own band. Mm-hmm. called belly i didn't know about that so they i they sent me a demo tape it was incredible it was uh, the demo tape to star it hadn't come out yet in the first belly record and it was it blew my mind yeah it was heavy it was melodic the lyrics were insane it was textural it was um i don't know so above and beyond anything i had ever really been you know privileged to play on or be a part of i'm not thrown any of my other bands under the bus believe me but it was just like this something so original i had uh-huh. never heard anything like it so they actually auditioned me in my basement which is kind of funny because they didn't have a practice space so i actually think that's how i got the gig because i'm like the guy that has the pa or <laughs> the van i'm the lady well, we gotta hang out with the Gail, she's space. got the I swear to God. I swear to God. Wow. Okay. And I, you know, I was really nervous. And then they, then they had a European tour, a UK tour, I think of cheap shows in England and they had to um, go right away. And I wasn't ready Mm -hmm. to, I didn't know the songs yet. So Leslie Langston, who was in the throwing muses as a bass player, um, she agreed to fill in. Um, Fred Abong had quit belly. That's why I was called in. Yeah. After the first record, right? Right. After the first record. And he never toured with the record. He just recorded with them and, so um leslie langston actually had to record in had to practice in my basement <laughs> with with belly so they could go play in europe and i was just like ah you guys really did pick me because you needed a practice space <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting i actually sat there and i watched leslie play and she's phenomenal and i could yeah. actually see like some of the parts i was having some trouble with it was neat to see oh it was yeah. like yeah. A, it was like an instructional youtube video before they had youtube and i could actually sit there and watch her play yeah so um that's um that's how I got that gig. And then right away when they came back, we went, I think in February, we went over to um England. My first show was in front of very many people and I was very nervous. I, I think it was a was it Manchester University? I think it was at a school. Um they had to keep making the venues bigger. It's, they booked out the band into small clubs and then the record was doing so well um mm-hmm. that they were selling out and they just kept making the venue sizes going to bigger venues. Uh-huh. So um, before I know it, we were playing big theaters and, um, you know, it was wow. definitely getting thrown in. I mean, I came from a punk rock, you know, kids in a mosh pit, you know, 40, 50 people, you know, running around with bloody teeth and to go into a, like proper audiences. And it was, it was, <laughs> uh, it was a trip. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. How long did you have then to prepare from that? I think uh, it was just a couple of months. Okay. Just uh, yeah. So they went over to England, and I just like really woodshed while they were gone. I just like really tried to learn that record and yeah. learn it, you know. Uh, and I think they were able to actually even maybe send me Fred's bass parts so I could listen to his uh, solo okay. out parts. As I think yeah. about it now, I, that might have been. Um, but I was nervous. I mean, I had been playing guitar primarily for the last five years. I hadn't played mm-hmm. bass since the Dames, so. Um, you know, it was learning basically like relearning a whole new instrument again and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm um, getting, getting my sound right. And, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm still working on it, but, um, uh, yeah. So I think it was just like a couple of months before it 
really started taking off and I uh, found myself in this really amazing situation. I was so yeah. Lucky. I mean, I really won the lottery. I mean, I really, that, that was so fortuitous and Tanya's my best friend and, you know, the band is great. We're playing together again. And, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's really amazing. Music is amazing. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so what is it like, you know, you, you played on their, their second record, your yep. second record. King. King. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. What was it like, um, you know, being more in the fold with, with the band and writing with them and, um, being more integrated and in, in part of that. What was that like for you? Uh, that was really exciting. I, it's like, cause the, obviously star was, um, star was a lot of mostly, I think it was a lot of Tanya's demos. Um, and I was, um, impressed that she was open to co-writing, you know, okay. I didn't really know, you know, but when we started working on King, she just was like, do you have any riffs? Do you have any songs? Do you? And I was oh, like, wow, Oh nice. my God. Yeah. I have four tracks full of shit, you know, and just was like so much stuff. And so I just brought some things in and then we started working together as a band and Tom writes a lot, obviously. And, and, um, and he still writes and plays on his own. Now he's, he's in a band called, he has his own band called disappearing dreams. They're fabulous. But mm -hmm. anyway, we were, um, writing together we rehearsed in right near the airport in newport newport airport we were kind of it was like sort of a hangar building we okay. had rehearsal there and that's where we just like, did all pre-production for the record and wrote the record there and it was really neat to be part of the actual creative process mm -hmm. i mean i love performing that's like my number one thing i love that um so i was satiated with that that's fine <laughs> i mean if that's all i ever had to do was jump around like an idiot in front of a bunch of people <laughs> i'm fine with that yeah <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. sing back up <laughs> yeah but being asked to be a creative was uh really an honor it was that's really cool. was really wonderful yeah and then you uh the band disbanded and it uh took uh, i guess it was probably about like a 20-year yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, but in 2016, it uh, reformed and yep. uh, did some reunion, a reunion tour, reunion shows. Yeah. Um, there was a secret show, right, in Newport. Yes. Right? Where, yep. where was that? What was that? Uh, that's at a club called the um, the Parlor. There's a parlor in Providence, oh, but yeah, there's yeah. a parlor in Newport. And yeah. our, our friend Boofish owns it and um, he put in a whole new sound system for us and everything. He like really hooked us up and it was, yeah. um, it was like a surprise show because we hadn't played together in public in 20 years. So yeah. it was wonderful to do it in front of friends and family. And that's who it was. It was my whole family and, and all my friends and the locals. And it was really a great way to, um, to warm up. How did you it, keep it a secret? I don't know how we did that. And I don't know. We yeah. said sold out. So I don't know how, I mean, it's a small yeah. club, so I don't know how we did that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we were just nervous enough that we kind of wanted no one to go. Cause we sort of just wanted to play to an empty club. I think that might've been the idea was to just play in an empty club at first. Yeah. But then we just said, Oh, what the fuck? Let's just, just have... invite a couple of people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we turned it into a full rock show. So, um, yeah, that was exciting. That was, uh, it was really weird. Then right yeah. after that, I think we flew to, I think the UK was before we came back into the US. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that, that was a strange time for me. Like we won't get into this cause it's a long, it's a long sorted tale, but I had, um, 
cancer. So I found out during the reunion rehearsals 2016 that I had endometrial cancer cancer, and that um, I needed to have surgery, which we thought was fine. And we thought we were going to have surgery. And then it, like I'd be healed from my surgery to go do the first date in England, okay. which was six weeks out. But um, the bi- biopsy came back and they found out that um, it was, had metastasized. So I needed to have chemotherapy. So we thought I could just have the surgery, you know, so I had to break that to the band and it was just like devastating. Cause here we were, we rehearsed all this to get together 20 years later. And then, you know, I might not be able to tour, you know, uh-huh. I credit women in infants hospital and my girl, um, Sheila Enderby, who's the um, chemo nurse navigator over there. And I just said, you know, I get this, I, this is the craziest thing. And I know everybody that cancer never comes at a right time. And I totally get it. And I'm not trying to be, you know, my pain is special, but I'm just like, I mean, a freaking band that's going to England in, you know, three weeks. Can I do this? And she just said, um, yes, as long as you start your first treatment when you come back. And Uh then I said, but then we have a U.S. tour that's all summer. And she, I said, can I, can I do it? And she was so amazing. She just said, as long as you invite me to the show in Ireland. So there was none of this like, no, you can't tour on chemo. You can't, you know, there was no, the scariness. It was just this wonderful, positive yeah. experience. I mean, I can't say enough about the women's health at women and in infants hospital and my friend, Sheila. So um, who she's become a dear friend to. I had to, I knew that I, at that show, I thought it would have been, you know, like for me personally, it would have been like, wow, we haven't been together 20 years. This is really amazing. But in the back of my head, I was like, oh shit, you know, I've got to start chemotherapy in, you know, in three weeks. And that's, you know, that's another whole thing. So, but we did it, you know, I was bald, but I wore a wig and I would just do my treatment and then we would just somehow the schedule worked out. My, my chemo was scheduled around the tour and I was still able to make my right appointments right on time, okay. but yeah. still able to do all the shows and did not miss a show. I mean, I didn't feel great all the time, but for the most part, it was just the adrenaline. And I think it was the best thing because it helped me get through yeah. it. Just the adrenaline of the shows helped wow. me get through treatment. So yeah. And my band couldn't have been more awesome. And my boyfriend, Chill, came to England. He was like my emotional support dog. And um, he uh, was our roadie. And um, we, so we, everyone was just so super supportive and nice. So it was a really kind of amazing summer, even though I was getting treatment. It was a really, really wonderful memory. Yeah, Um so that was kind of heavy. I didn't mean to drop that turd on you. No, no. I mean, thank you for sharing that. Uh, <laughs> no, I guess that's just why I'm trying to think about, like, how did it feel to be on tour? And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's right. No, I, was, I was like, I was trying to remember, like, oh, yeah, I was getting chemotherapy and I was bald and my hair was falling out on stage. <laughs> so um, I forgot. So that was that was going on that summer. And yeah. Then, and then, uh, you know, I, I remember reading that in back in 2016, you guys had started writing some new stuff and was premiering it. Were others some of the songs that you had premiered in, in 2016 that made it to Dove or were they? Um... Yep. Two songs. We did okay. two new songs. I think we did um, Artifact and um, was it Starry Eyes? I can't remember what the other song was. Okay. Um, we did two songs. We we introduced two new songs yeah. in 2016 and we played them in the, mixed them in the set and they went 
pretty well. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. you know, people want the hits and the songs that they remember. And it's great. The, the thing I have to say is that our fans who are all in their 40s now and they're all professional and they've got their amazing and intelligent and have great careers, we're able to now they have the means to to pay for airline tickets and came to every show like people uh -huh. went to Europe and they it was so great wow. and they were just we just so awesome and you know we remember them from the 90s and when mm -hmm. they were in their 20s when they were college kids and yeah so um it's pretty amazing so they were all back they all came back almost all of them and we remembered a lot of them which was really cool but they um were supportive of us so basically anything we played they would have been supportive of i mean we were playing you know we were preaching to the choir you know we weren't yeah. trying to win over anybody right yeah we yeah. already had our old school fans, fans. Yeah. yeah 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 so um um yeah so we had those two new songs and then we were just writing um i had tons of stuff um and tom had tons of stuff and tanya always is super productive so mm -hmm. and uh and chris wrote his parts and so we just put it together and recorded it um in basically this house I'm in now, this is our house in Little Compton. Actually, this is the room we did vocals in. It's a little bedroom um, in Little Compton. It's an old house. Um, so we did, we worked with Paul Coldery. He is okay. an old friend of ours that did a lot of our B-sides. Uh, he's a producer that he did um, their first Radiohead record. I mean, his, his resume is crazy. Wow. Um, he did the first whole record. I mean, he's pretty amazing. Anyway, he came and brought his Pro Tools and we just recorded here at this house that I'm in wow. now in Little Compton. And um, we did some, the drum basics over at Stable Sound in Portsmouth, yeah. Rhode Island. Steve Rizzo's cool place. Yeah. yeah, it's a nice place. Have you been in there? No, I just, uh, I did a previous interview with someone that recorded there and just got in pretty deep of just talking about you know that it's literally a stable that there's like oh you did <laughs> oh yeah yeah right so, um just yeah i've been so you know talk to a couple of people I've, i'd love to just check it out whenever oh you should uh, it's amazing it. um so that's where we did all our basics so okay. um and then we came and brought and did all our overdubs here at this house Nice. And um, the, all the vocals were done here. So sometimes there's a lot of farms around here. So we had to like the, the sort of near the road and it would rumble when a truck or trailer would go by, but we'd have to like <laughs> do another take. But, yeah. um, and then Paul mixed it, Paul and Tom Gorman um, produced it. Tom produced it, Paul mixed it, co-produced. And um, so that's Dove sticking with our four letter titles. Mm-hmm star king and dove and um we're very proud of that record we loved it it was great and we played that in its entirety almost every song on that in 2018 on our 2018 tour so we actually yeah. had to call some of our songs from our older records so we did get to do all of our songs from the olden days but we just yeah. picked the hits and then did um we played all of dove on the on this tour yeah yeah it's great so the recording experience was really mellow and fun. It was great. It was, uh, we did King, we did King in the Bahamas with Glenn Johns. Yeah. And, um, yeah. that, I mean, that was a trip too. That was amazing. Must, I mean, yeah. that was, yeah, it was, it was, it could be stressful at times cause he's a real taskmaster, but it was, um, 
the, the location was crazy beautiful. It's amazing. So you somehow made the like made this island or whatever, you know, like super stressful. You know? <laughs> I know. I know. How could you make this Man, island life on. stressful? I know. <laughs> but, uh, I got know. a great record out of it. So <laughs> yeah, we're we're really proud of that record. That was live. That was recorded live. Everyone had oh, to really? do the tape. Yeah, it was four of us standing in a room. And if someone screwed up. You had to start over again. So it was, we, we did do some overdubs, obviously, but it was uh-huh. um, all the rhythm tracks are absolutely live. It was, that's probably the stressful part of it. So you had to be on your game, your part, you had to play your part. Like, I mean, you could do some punching in and stuff like that, but yeah, not for yeah. poor, I mean, not really drums. Chris had to yeah. basically nail it every time. Mm-hmm. Um, bass, I could punch in and stuff, but um, that was a trip. That, that's <laughs> probably what made the island stressful. seemed like there was like i guess kind of going back to the 90s it was about like a year break from what i've read and then you connected with l7 um yeah how how did you uh meet up with them or how did that uh how did joining that band um we were friends with a, a band from new york called the lunatics um who oh, are okay. fabulous yeah, so, yeah. um um, the Lunatics would play with L7 often, and they told uh, Jennifer Finch had left the band. She was their bass player, and they asked um, Gina Lunatic if she knew of anybody that played bass. And so I have to, I'll give Gina all the props. And she said, "Yeah, I know this girl in Rhode Island who uh-huh. was was um, was in Belly." And and um, I think I also got an added boost because Howie Klein from um, Reprise Records was. Um, our guy at belly and he also worked with l7 so then there was sort of an industry um vouch that i got from him as well but i have to credit gina lunachik for the first person to tell l7 about me so Mm -hmm. i met danita in new york i met her and i was really nervous because i was a huge fan Mm -hmm. and um met her at a little restaurant and then um she said um um do you want to come out and audition so i flew out to la because mm-hmm. that's where they're based and um auditioned and then waited and went back home and um they told me i got the gig and i was ecstatic screaming i just because that record they had a new record um the beauty process that they had just um finished recording and i don't know if you've heard that record it's it's so it's so great yeah yeah so such a great record and so many heavy songs on it and i was so thrilled they're so heavy heaviest (laughs) band i've ever played was so great and the thing about l7 is um 
they are frigging hilarious. They are the funniest, funniest girls. I mean, I know a lot of funny <laughs> girls like Biff Naked is hilarious. Tanya's freaking hilarious. L7 yeah. is mental, crazy, hilarious. In a van with them is so the hijinks. I can't even, my God, <laughs> like they really are the rock and roll. I mean, there's, they are the real deal, the real deal. There's mm-hmm. no pretense there. They are really hardcore chicks that are really hard rocking. Mm-hmm. And when you played with them and you took the stage, you had such a power because D Placus is such a powerful drummer. Yeah. Our wall of sound, you know, I have a full Mesa Boogie full stack, you know, RB 400 and their, their guitar sound is, unbeat it's just uh-huh. you just could do no wrong when you took the stage with l7 it was a very very powerful feeling yeah it was really amazing i loved that's, it that's awesome I, did, I played with them for like i think it was about three years mm-hmm. i saw them i hadn't seen them in um years and they played in in boston 2016 i think it was it was 2016 yeah i think it was in or and Chill and I went to go see them and I'd never seen them as an audience member before. And Jennifer Finch was back in her rightful place playing yep. bass. And um, I had tears running down my face. They were so great. Their sound was so incredible. It was just wonder. And I, I was so honored that I was actually a part of that for three years. That's great. That, that was a really great time. Really. I'm so blessed when I look back on it, I'm like, Oh my God, these things just seem to fall in my lap. I'm so freaking lucky. Yeah. Oh my God, I don't deserve it. <laughs> I think you do. But. <laughs> I don't know. Such uh, a bitch. I do not. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. So how, uh, how was it like uh, connecting with them? Like, did you uh, stay in Rhode Island during that time? Or, yeah, um, I commuted. So my brother okay. is a pilot. He works for uh, American. So I was able to get the buddy pass. So I get, wow. get cheap airline <laughs> tickets to go back and forth to rehearse with them out in Los Angeles. And um, um, yeah, we rehearsed before shows. Like I'd come out like maybe a week or two early and we do a rehearsal rehearsals and then go on the road. They yeah. toured a lot. They, yeah, they, yeah. they toured a lot all over yeah. the world too. I mean, we got to go to Australia and, uh, Japan and New Zealand and um, no, no, no. We did the Pacific Rim, but we didn't do. I think we did uh, um, Japan, and they were always doing the continent. And they were mm-hmm. just really big in Europe. Really, oh, yeah. Yeah. a lot of doing super, a lot of, a lot of metal fans, and yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Really great, great festivals, um, huge festivals, um, just they're great. They're still great. I mean, they can still. Mm-hmm. I mean, they got kneecap too like the rest of us i mean they had a whole tour lined up for this summer which sucks nobody so did the luna chicks they were getting back together again after like 15 wow. years and they were playing like punk rock bowling and they had all those those shows lined up for the yep. summer and just uh. so yeah back to l7 um that's how i did it i think it was mostly via commuting mm-hmm. and they would put me up which was nice and their manager had an apartment in hollywood and i would get to stay there she didn't live there for some reason I don't know where she was staying, but I had a place to myself. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. <laughs> I know. That works out. You know? <laughs> it worked out. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fun. 
And my brother lived in San Diego. My brother and sister-in-law lived in San Diego. Oh, okay. So in between rehearsals, I'd get in a car, I'd rent a car and I'd go down and see them. And my nephew, Andy was just born. And so it was nice to, um, you know, just drive down the coast. So I have very fond memories of that time, spending a lot of time in California, which I had never really done before. I was really, yep. you know, a New England gal. I'd never spent a lot of time on the West coast and mm-hmm. it was really fun. Awesome. And they're hilarious, like I said. Yeah. So, and their friends are great. They are so artistic and creative and original. And their friends are mental and nuts and wonderful artists and great musicians. And I met so many people through them. Yeah. Oh, it sounds it sounds like it sounds it was uh, yeah. just cool how they just you know invited you in and, and made you a part of it. Um, I, I, yeah, I felt like they accepted me like right away. Like I felt mm-hmm. like a part of them right away. And it was hard because you know Jennifer Finch was a fixture and beloved beloved from a founding member of the band and Mm -hmm. you know it's hard to be the sammy hagar that's coming in from david you know filling david lee roth's shoes yeah yeah not that i'm comparing myself to sammy hagar and david lee roth but um (laughs) you know it's hard because people are like you know and it's kind of like l7 was sort of like the beatles you had your favorite beetle you had your favorite l7 you know Uh and there were a lot of jennifer fans you know that i knew that i had to either just like pay her respect or you know, not try to win them over, but just not fuck up. Right. And, um, I, I feel like, um, they made me feel like I would, I belong from day one, which was really, really, mm-hmm. really special. That's cool. Yeah. And you did one record with them, right? That, uh, yes. The, um, uh, yeah. Slap happy. I actually recorded that. We were, we were sort I was sort of leaving then. So it's not like, you know, totally um amicable at that point but um you know well every band you know every breakup is that way and then you're friends again later but i actually recorded that record on my vs 880 um eight track it was the first digital recorder that you could buy as a consumer yeah and um so we did all the tracks on my vs 880 which was really neat out in um in California and some in a, in a kid's studio, we yeah. tracked all the drums that way and everything. And then we had to bounce everything. It was really boring, but we were able to do it on an eight track. And then from there, someone mixed it. I don't know who ended up mixing it, but so, yes, I played, I played on that record with them. Mm-hmm. I'm not credited as much as I should be, but that's between you and me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no it's fine i don't okay. care <laughs> that's ancient history <laughs> uh, okay oh like with uh, like songwriting credits for it or, or uh, yeah no most, i think mostly like recording credits and playing credits oh, I gotcha. and, uh, yeah but that's um that's okay we're great friends now it doesn't matter yeah. but um yeah that was a good experience too though i really learned how to record that helped that really helped my recording that was stressful recording yeah I still have my VSA daily. If any of your listeners want to buy it, <laughs> I'm sure someone might want to buy it. Yeah, I know it's ancient. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's ancient still. technology, but some people collect that stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick to the plan.
Yeah, what was your next uh, musical endeavor after that? Was it, uh, I know you mentioned Biff a couple of times. Yeah. Did you connect with her? And um, it, was it then after L7? Or? Yeah, after L7. So after L7, after I left L7, um, I came back to the East Coast to be with my beloved Chill and all my dogs. And then Biff Naked called me and she just said, we need a bass player. She's uh-huh. like, and you know, we had been friends. We had been met through Chai Pig. And um, she's like, we've got these Canadian dates. You know, they, they tour like crazy. Uh-huh. And um, do you want to join the band? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me think about that. Let me yeah. think about that. So I flew out to Vancouver and I, you know, I have a beloved chill is puts up with so much. I, I can only do this because I have an amazing life partner. It's the only way he's watching three dogs in. That was then we had three dogs. Um, and I flew out to Vancouver and I rehearsed with them and I stayed with that. I think I was with them for two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, they're hardcore tours. They tour. I mean, it's hard to tour Winnipeg in the winter. I mean, they're doing Red Deer, Alberta. They're going to wow. like points north. I mean, they tour in the winter. She in Canada. is <laughs> yeah, in Canada. You're driving over the Canadian Rockies, um, Kelowna. You're playing um, Saskatchewan, you know, every province. Um, and there's a lot. It's not like the U.S. There's like a lot of desolation between cities. Yeah. And, and so they, they would play like every, any place that had a club, they were really great about that. Um, yeah. She really brings it to every community. That's why she's beloved because so many, she's been to just about every community in Canada and people have seen mm-hmm. her live in places where bands would normally not go. Mm-hmm. Um, cool. And I know that cause I was in the van. <laughs> and you're like, why oh, am I here? We had a tour bus. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I've never even heard of this place, you know? <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. It, but kids would come out. It was like she packed every venue. It was just cool. awesome. They would love her. And um, I remember thinking, like, I was a hot shit and that I could, like, um, yeah, I'm, I can hold my own on stage. And her manager, Peter, would just be like, he would always offer any band member. He's like, I'll give you $100 if you can get people to take their eyes off of Biff to look at you for a minute and yeah. i was like oh fuck yeah i got this and i'm pulling out every rock star move i can think of and like nope nope fucking beeline at biff <laughs> she is so charismatic and i was like god damn she i didn't win the hundred bucks and the guitar player doug fury he's like god you no one does and they she's very i don't know if you've yeah. ever seen her live but she's super no, charismatic and um super smart super intelligent great writer um great singer so that was that was fun we did that um i think we did Lollapalooza too is that um yeah we came down and did Lollapalooza in the u.s um we i I just remember mostly doing canadian touring but we did tour the u.s and i think the lunatics were on that one too that was the year green day headlined so um, it was kind of a bro fest. Do you know what I mean? It was a little bit bro yeah. heavy. Um, but yeah, that was, um, yeah, that was Lollapalooza. That was, I can't remember what year that was, but so I did a lot of touring with Biff. Yeah. Okay. I, I love awesome. her. She, she's my breast cancer mentor. So she has had breast oh, really? cancer. Oh, okay. So she, um, she was my mentor with, 
rock and roll cancer. Like, how do you keep a wig on on stage? You know, how do you not throw up when you're playing a gig? You know, I mean, she just had, she was just like, I owe her my life. I mean, I, I love her with everything in my heart. But she really helped me through the the worst of the treatment just because she was like, how, what, how small is that club, right? Rockers that had breast cancer that are touring during treatment. So, you know, she helped me through it. So I was really, I was really lucky. Yeah. That's yeah. That's, that's yeah. No, that was invaluable. I owe her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I love her. And, uh, after that, it was, is that when Benny Sizzler started? Or kind of like around like early 2000s? Um, that was around the time. It was 2000 that Benny Sizzler started. Yeah. And what um, what was like the, the inspiration? I mean, obviously it's with, with Chill and stuff like that. But do you remember yeah. the idea of starting that band? Yes, um, I do. Chill will tell you. And he told me this. Um, he actually told me this recently. I didn't know that, but I was between bands. I think it was like actually right before I um, was it maybe after bit after I left Biff, um, I wasn't in a band and he just said, my girl got to be in a band. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> like, this bitch got to be in a band or she ain't happy. And uh, so he, he started Benny Sizzler and he writing. And one of the thing, one of the exercises that he wanted to do too, was he was in a great band called One Ton Shotgun, which is a great band. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, do I don't you remember those I, guys. Yeah. I don't know why I didn't put that together, but thank you. Yeah, for yes. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Such yeah. a great band yeah, yeah. with Mark Thomas, who is now in Benny Sizzler, mm-hmm. um, one of the guitar players. And um, he, their songs were so great, but they had like 20 riffs on a song. They had so there's, they had the best riffs I've ever heard in my life. And they would put 20 of them in one song. And I was like, dude, you can make 20 songs out of that. Why waste all those riffs in one song? So I remember Chills was like, you know what? My next band is going to be like, I'm going to try to keep the riffs down to one or two. Right. (laughs) And so we tried to be a super simple band, a super heavy and simple band. And that's how we started. um, That's what that style of writing started to be. But that just came from a band that had too many good riffs. And um, yeah, so Slim Jim, we had Mike Fleming was our original drummer. And then we got Slim Jim Collarin, who is amazing. Yeah, so that would be, what was that? Was that like 2000? Yeah, so that's my forever band. Like, you know, everybody has a forever band. That's my forever band. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've done. And they've been through, I mean, they're so like, when, when Belly got back together, I'm in another band called Band of Their Own, which is an all girl band in Boston. And like, you know, they're so patient. Like when I had to do belly stuff or I have to go do band of their own stuff, you know, they're so frigging great. You know, they're not prima donnas. They're just fun to play with. I love them. They're heavy. They're super, super great people. So supportive of me and supportive of me when I was getting treatment too. Cause I was still doing Benny Sizzler during, obviously during the belly stuff. So, yeah, yeah. you know, I did a bunch of Benny Sizzler shows on chemo and they were just so great. They're so great. Yeah, it's I a great band. Um, yeah. I know another band that doesn't have a record or never done anything. I mean, we just... We have some recordings, right? You've done some... No, we do have some recordings, like yes. And stuff like that. Some, yeah, yeah so. we do. Definitely We'd like to out. someday actually put out some... four. I, I would love to put out a physical 45, though. I would love to, like, design the whole package just because we're designers and it would just yep. be neat to have, like, a physical thing. So um, I think one of these days... That's what we're working towards. Actually, Chill's 
Jill's going to be doing some vocals. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I try to like what direction yeah. <laughs> later. Oh, cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I've been on kind of like a physical, tangible music kick, you know, I've been trying to, um, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just of a certain age. Uh, definitely. I mean, I grew up in the, in like the nineties. So I like brought up Pablo Honey. Like that was one of the first cassettes oh. I ever bought. Um, and I just like really connected with that, but it was, yeah, just something of like actually having like liner notes and reading through that stuff. So, yeah, we're putting out a B-side record. Belly's putting out um, a B-side record that, um, uh, run out groove. They will do reissues Mm -hmm. of people's digital stuff and put it on vinyl and they have like a voting process. So they had, um, B-sides for Belly. I think a Sinead O'Connor, was the artist and I can't remember there's a third artist. And so the fans vote on which one they want to put out next to Mm -hmm. press and vinyl. And we won, which was nice just last week, actually. So um, they're going to put out and we're chilling our designers and Chris Gorman is a photographer. um, We're going to do the um, packaging for it. So it's neat. So it is going to be another physical thing and it's going to be all of our B sides in one place that were never, you know, they're digital. They're on this CD or on that CD or whatever, but they're going to be on really nice vinyl, Um, beautiful vinyl. We're doing like colored vinyl and stuff and um, nice packaging. So that's, um, that's really cool to have that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I need to do that with Benny Sizzler now. I really do. That's, we really need to get, I'm going to chill. We got to get on that. I mean, you're just talking about graphic design. Um, I love the story of Greenwood Associates design. If you want to share anything about that, um, you know, in addition to that, I, I uh, read that you did the logo design for rockets. Is that correct? Yeah. Rocket. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the graphic design that you've done in the past? And, and then again, yeah, if you want to talk about, uh, the company. Uh, oh, well, that, well, first of all, aren't you sweet to do your homework and to read our little bio section? That's really nice. No, it's an awesome Thank story. You. I, uh, yeah, I, I just love the history of it. Yeah. We like, didn't know like how, when my sister passed away and we um, took over Greenwood Associates as a company that my dad started in the fifties, um, early sixties. Um, 
you know, we just had a lot of the same clients, but we just felt like we didn't know how much information to put in there. And we just said, you know what, let's just tell the story the way it is Mm -hmm. and how um, my dad passed it on to my sister and she worked with chill and she'll work there while I was on the road all the time. And then um, she left the company to us and we just um, felt like we needed to honor her by talking about her and that our little bio section. And it's sad. Like my brother said, now, should I, when I go to a company website, he's like, should I be crying? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I know. I know it's kind of, it's very sad, but um, you know, it's also inspiring. So um, yeah, we've been really, really lucky. We've had the same, you know, the same clients for I don't know, 25 years. So, yeah. and so like um, a lot of nonprofits, right? And colleges. Yep. Yeah, colleges and nonprofits and um, Rhode Island Kids Count, which is a children's advocacy organization in Providence is phenomenal. And um, we love them. They're our number one. Um, yeah. So that's, that's Greenwood Associates. I mean, some of our clients, so, I mean, like COVID did affect us too, though. We were doing something for the land trust here in Little Compton and, you know, big events that can't, couldn't happen and we were doing all the signage and stuff for it you know those events were canceled so the job was canceled um i yeah. just picked up salve regina as a new client salve regina university and all their um events were canceled and mm-hmm. so it's it's tough you know it's tough for the design world i think some people are finding a way to you know to work around it um we're lucky that we have a couple of dedicated clients that we love and are still staying with us. But, um, you know, who knows what's going to happen, how long lockdown's going to be for, or, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, and, uh, it's, uh, chills painting though. He's, he's really, he's a great fine okay. art painter. So, um, he's able to keep himself artistically busy if he's not graphic design busy. Um, I'm doing a lot of recording and writing music, wise and so we we are still busy but um yeah we need to um i don't know we have to like everybody we need to see what's going to happen in the future mm-hmm. but um but so far knock on wood we still have our company so that's good yeah yeah because that's our day job yeah yeah with like the the rocket logo how did that come about were they just looking for something and uh oh yeah that was um, my friend Jeff Adams and I were just sketching around with some ideas that James McGrath, the guy I told you about, who's now the president of um, the law school at uh, yeah. Western Michigan, he um, needed a logo and we were artists. And so we just like came up with that thing. And then I finalized it and then um, put it on a took a slide of it and projected it across the street and traced it right on the side of the um, club. So okay. that's how, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of it painted on the wall on the outside of uh, Richmond Street. I have actually. Um, oh, it was yeah. really huge. It was great. Yeah. But that's how we did it with like a, sl- my dad's slide, Kodak slide projector <laughs> from across the street and then just got up on a ladder and traced it. Yeah. And um, that's, uh, yeah, so cool. that's kind of sort of become iconic. I think um, they made shirts and somebody redid shirts. Uh, our friend Liam Prince, he re did the, he reissued that shirt and um, is selling those, I think. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, that made the rounds, that logo. That's, that was really fun. Nice. Um, I did a bit, I did a Christmas card for uh, Aerosmith. Um, 
it was um, in the early stages of Photoshop and I did a, um, a naked deer and it was called for those we hold deer. And so when you see the card, it's just a, a deer for those we yeah. hold deer, it's a deer. But then when you open it, it had like a cutout, you open it, it was a deer with big boobs and cleavage and that was very classy (laughs) very classy (laughs) and uh i like to think also around that time when i was doing their christmas card um i did um they had a record called get a grip and they were looking for ideas for get a grip so i was doing a bunch of sketches and i came up with um milking a cow like a lady milking a cow with a brand aerosmith on the other and um, mother of God, that's what they ended up with the cover. And they, I feel like I'm such sour grapes in this podcast and I didn't get credit for that. <laughs> I feel like I didn't get I was like, I'm that is you, the cover, I'm like, isn't I'm it? Like that. Kids to know. Yeah, I'm like, God damn it. That was my idea. They stole my idea. Wow. You want to pay me the hundred bucks. Um, yes, just pay me the hundred dollars. <laughs> just give me a hundred dollars. <laughs> but I feel like such a, I didn't get credit for this. I didn't get credit for that. No, that's not how I don't want to yeah. come across like that. But um, so that, that was a fun project, but that was, yeah. So that's my design. But that didn't, yeah, that's they say it's not my design. Hmm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, the last question I have for you, it's a it's a big one, but uh just wanted to ask, like, uh, what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment to this point? Oh wow. Hmm. I mean, like the obvious ones are probably like standing up on stage opening for you two mm-hmm. in Paris, you know, that's kind of an obvious thing, but as far as an accomplishment going, I would say writing is probably really rewarding yeah. now that I'm doing more writing in belly and in um, Benny Sizzler. I would say writing is a pretty decent accomplishment and having a song, I think probably getting a song on a record is pretty, you know, on a major label is kind of like, yeah. I don't know, that's, I'm pretty proud of that, you know, yeah. and being registered with BMI. And, you know, I think that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. Well, Gail, thank you so much for your your time. It's been incredible to uh, to talk to you and then your, all of the incredible things that you've done. This is awesome. I hope I didn't bore you guys too much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, James. It's great talking to you, too.